So you're talking about coming into your teens. Who, who, how would you describe yourself as a teen or a young adult? Um, very depressed and uh, very, um, uh, it's like, a, like a very mix of different things. Very creative somehow because, you know, I was, um, when I was 17, I started working as a fashion stylist because I was together with a photographer and he said, you have really good style, so you should be a stylist. And so I became a stylist. But I was, of course, not my my most healthiest self, and that's probably when I developed the most scars on my mental health, uh, you know, issues like the the anorexia. The you know, there's so many things that I kind of turned off um, that I had had to try to unravel throughout my lifetime. My name is Innocent Mugenga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. Welcome, Jana. Welcome to the Learnability Podcast. Thank you. <laughs> how are you doing? How how have you had it these sunny days in, in Sweden? Uh, we've actually had like some of the best. I'm still working. Uh, I go yeah. on vacation in two weeks, but we have like really used the weekends to get out. Yes. Uh, and been out in the countryside. And you, when you realize that you're leaving the town for the first time in four months, then <laughs> then you become just happy for that. Yeah. <laughs> Excited. <laughs> wow. I just yeah. left town for a weekend, but otherwise mm-hmm. uh, working from home. Yeah. Uh, what I've done is I've woken up really early, uh, got some work done. Around lunch, I get out and get some sun for a few hours. And then I'm back in the evening to get work done when the sun is not out and yeah. about. That's uh, I mean, if you have that kind of flexibility to, to do that schedule, that's like my dream. But I think one of the reasons why I love working from home is that you have more control of your schedule and, yes. and you do the zooming and then you do the, your own stuff. So yeah, it's been, exactly. it's been interesting the whole spring, but I've actually enjoyed it quite, quite a lot. <laughs> well, Let's jump right into it. Um, we can start off with you giving an introduction of who you are and what you do. Just a short introduction. Yeah, uh, my name is Joanna. And uh, basically, um, I am, I'm, today I'm working with PR and consulting for different beauty and fashion brands, amongst other things. Yes. Um, I've been a yoga teacher for the past 20 years, also working with kind of well-being and wellness and mental health care uh, for yoga and meditation and food. Uh, And then before that, uh, actually, my career started when I worked as a fashion stylist for about eight years when I was pretty young. So I started off really young. Uh, And before that, I I was living aboard with my parents. Uh, And today I'm 46 and I have a daughter and she's turning 20 in August. And my husband, Frederick, he's a photographer, amongst other things. So it's like I have a very broad spectrum of what I do because I have so many things that I've done so far. And for the past 10 years, actually, it's almost like what I'm working with today. I was also part of creating somehow, you know, like the whole scene that we, that we're almost taking for granted today did not exist even just 10 years ago. Oh yeah. So that's where I'm, uh, I'm at today. And, um, I mean, uh, I really treasure my upbringing, but of course, when I was younger, I just wanted to be like everyone else. And then maybe it was not as fun, but today I'm just so happy that I have the, 
like I said, the broad spectrum of having living abroad and having, you know, been to different schools and meeting different people. And even, I mean, even more now, I think after what's been going on the past month, I think it's even more important to kind of enhance that. Uh, like you saw the the little article or blog post I wrote in Elle magazine, yes, which I also write for. writing. Uh, and I've been encouraged by my friends to kind of bring out that more. So um, hopefully uh, I'm going to be able to feel the courage to share that part of me uh, and not only the, the, the fluffy parts. <laughs> yeah, no, I hope you do because you, you wrote it really good. The piece you mm -hmm. wrote for Elle uh, magazine. And I'm hoping we can deconstruct some of this throughout yeah. this conversation. There's so many parts in your journey that mm -hmm. I would like to dive into. But mm -hmm. starting off where you are today and what you work with today, I wanted to get some insights from you on the nutritional side when it comes to food and what type of nutritional advice you work with. Uh, well, because when I started, uh, like I said, I started when I was working with fashion and then I became pregnant uh, a little more than 20 years ago. And I didn't want to work in the fashion industry because, you know, I just felt like it was not the healthiest at the moment. So I started practicing yoga when I was, when I was pregnant. And then my yoga teacher said, please become a yoga teacher. And I enrolled to a three years teacher's training uh, with her every day, like bam, bam, bam. So I did that for, for a, a long time and also teaching full time for more than 15 years. And then when I stopped doing that, um, for many reasons, uh, to teach full time, I, I brought up my, my passion for food. So when, before I actually started doing fashion, I was a bit troubled teenager and my parents wanted to put me in chef school, uh, because they said that you, you just, you love cooking. So you should go to chef school and use your creativity. But I was 17 years old and I wanted to work with fashion. So I said, no, and I dropped out of school and started doing fashion instead. But when I was really young, I had like anorexia for 10 years. So through the yoga practice and leaving the fashion world, I actually started getting healthy and finding a new way of approaching my own health and questioning what we look at as health. So I kind of brought that into to my yoga practice. And then when I stopped teaching full time, uh, I started to kind of wanted to work more with that aspect of the whole holistic view of, of, of self-care. But this is like 10 years ago. And, and then, you know, there was a bit, this big scene in America of doing like juice cleanses, green juice and, you know, nut milk. And I mean, we didn't really have that here. I mean, the juice was, was orange and milk was coming from a cow. Yeah. So I, so I kind of started to press my own juice uh, many liters a day. And I started delivering that to yoga studios. But after like a year or two, I started feeling that I'm kind of promoting uh, eating disorder, like telling especially young women or women in general that uh, it's, it's great to do a juice cleanse if you feel bad about yourself and it will fix everything. And you know how like you just take the good bits and you forget about yes. the bad parts. So I'm like, I saw, it's like I'm doing this eating disorder thing again. And mm. so I started more to kind of uh, enhancing nutrition for the soul which is I, which is where I am today. And also I was working as a breakfast chef at Sturehof and Stockholm's Matmakta is a, it's a place in Stockholm. And I was hired there to kind of revamp their breakfast to a more healthy uh, version of, of croissants and, you know, the regular breakfast. Oh, yeah. And 
at this moment, it was also kind of the beginning, beginning of trying to speak about local produced produce and food. Um, so when I was there, they opened a food court market and I got in touch with all these farmers and they were great. And I started to realize that not only was I promoting kind of like an eating disorder, I was also probably the least sustainable chef or person working with food and creating menus in Sturahov because I was actually just using produce from like, it's coconut water, it's acai, it's coconuts and butter, it's whatever, bananas, avocados. That's like, it's a really healthy diet, but we're living in Sweden. So, I mean, most part of the year we have to kind mm. of rethink. So I started really to kind of question myself. Uh, and then, so through like trying to see more nutrition as not as a green juice or eating less, I started to see nutrition for the soul. And also I really, really wanted to enhance and support our local farmers. So I really kind of changed the way I view things from that aspect. And I think now today, everyone knows this is, this is what everyone is trying to kind of be doing, but it's like, I think I'm not like trying to say that I I'm better than anyone, but I was really like thinking of this in the beginning. And now that everyone is doing it, it's like, this, this should have been the whole thing the whole time. And, uh, and now also what's going on in the world, I also see that without uh, nutrition for the soul, without supporting our locals and without actually taking into the whole consideration, it's like why it's social values. Like I was living in New York and working in New York two years ago, and it's really, really easy to find the best produce. You can go to the food market, but it costs a million yeah. And most of the people, if you're living in that side Brooklyn, they're like uh, on food stamps, they have three kids, they're probably mental disorders. And it's like they will never see this kind of food. So it's really, it's really easy to sit here, um, you know, blogging on L or having my social feed on Instagram or other, you know, and, and supporting good eating. But it's, it's not going to reach the people who are actually needing it the most. So it's mm. now it's like, for me, it's very important to, to support nutrition for the soul. So I don't want people not to eat. I want to support my locals, but I also want to look into the social values. And sometimes I kind of call it food racism because you can sit and you can be a very spiritual person. You can do your spiritual practice every day. And then you can say, why don't they, why don't they eat more kale? Why are they eating processed food? Why are they doing this? And then you're not really looking into the whole, spectrum of how lucky you are to even be able to choose what you're going to eat. Uh, and that's why for me, like when we're talking self-care, it's very dangerous when we're just promoting a good way of eating and training. We also have to think about these other things because the spiritual practice without uh, applying social values into it has nothing to do with a spiritual practice. You know, it's like, and, and I think this is uh, issues we need to start to bring in into the conversation and and of course, everyone should be able to feel healthy and, 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 you know, work out or have like this to reach nature. Like you were saying, like going out into nature is also a luxury, but it shouldn't be, you know, yes. like clean air shouldn't be a luxury. Clean water shouldn't be a luxury. And we need to, to if we're going to be uh, healthy, spiritual people and doing our own yoga practice, we also need to do, do it for the whole, you know, society and, and throughout the world. This is so well said and, and uh, I, I can really tell that you live this uh, following you on Instagram. You're highly inspirational. 
And the question you said there, asking like, why aren't people doing this? Is it feels like you're asking that question for real, like not just questioning why don't you do this? Actually, what's the systemic or uh, what's hindering people from being able to um, eat good food? Yeah. And I would love for you to just elaborate a little bit more specifically on nutrition for the soul. Well, uh, considering that, you know, I have uh, gone through eating disorders and also considering I've gone through many years of actually eating very, very healthy raw food, uh, just to kind of rely on my own feeling of how I felt after 10 years of having eating disorder, I was totally disrupted as a person. After 15 years of working with yoga and trying to maintain a certain type of lifestyle, I was also totally disrupted because in the beginning, I, I tried to, I, when I think about people, like it's, I like to think that when we're born, we're like a perfect puzzle. Mm-hmm. And as humans, we need to kind of divide each piece to kind of learn how to walk, who we are, uh, who's your parent, what's your name, your educations, your, your different things that you learn in life. And then all of a sudden in your mid-20s or maybe before, you start to feel disrupted and you kind of want to piece everything together again. And I think that's what happened to me is I kind of went through many different phases of just working with one thing and being one kind of person, just trying this different pieces and suits. And then in the end, I just found that I'm equally uh, unhappy when I'm practicing what's supposed to be one of the most, uh, you know, enlightenment, enlightened and, and sustainable practices. Why am I feeling this way? And I just remember, then I kind of remember that in the beginning, you were also a very creative person and you were also about trying new things and looking at, at it from different angles and always questioning yourself. And now when you're in this, this uh, of course, it's the beauty. It's, it's not the yoga. It's not the meditation. It's what you bring into it as a person. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the yoga practice is just like a practice. And then you bring in your different values. And what I did with it was that I took away so many things that I love because I thought I had to be that way. I thought I had to adapt to become this great yogi. And then I just ended up like not being happy. Mm-hmm. And then I said, how do I, how do I, you know, maybe I will never be always happy, but how do I like make this part of my practice to kind of um, find another way to kind of not be so exclusive of things and try to include things into my life. So I was just like, you know, of course, if you're a yogi, you can do pizza and you can do meat if they're local, whatever. I mean, uh, there's so many, we have so many, like you think that you're in this freedom space and you're not. Uh, And I think that's the first step of trying to kind of, crack through it is to just admit that I'm not free. I'm not in- inclusive and especially maybe not inclusive to myself. And what do I really like? And to find out what you really like and what your body really needs, you need to be constant, you know, in a flow because that changes. Uh, and, and I think it's easier to just adapt something, uh, adapt an attitude, adapt a lifestyle, because then you don't have to wake up every day, sit down on your little meditation cushion or go running and kind of question, what do, how do I feel today? What do I like today? Uh, am I hungry today? Am I going to be racist today? Am I going to be ex- inclusive or exclusive? To, you know, you just have to go through that every day. And it sounds like a big portion of work, but in the end, it's just like, when you do those things, things when you do that work, then you will all actually also start to learn about yourself and your needs 
and some needs you might not need for yourself, but you need to give them to someone else. And I think that's like nutrition for the soul. Mm -hmm. And then of course I want to make the food that I do is usually very colorful. It's usually very kind of, um, photogenic, um, but also it's like, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to do like a year with only brown food. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just, it doesn't have to be that way, but it's just like, if that's the way I usually do it. Um, and I think that's very, of course, in the era, uh, the era of Instagram food also starting like five, five years ago when I started being more into food, of course, that was like one of the poppy art things that people noticed with me. And, you know, so I don't want to take away from that, but it's also important to kind of say to people, I'm this other side too. And I did like an experiment three or four years ago and I started kind of posting like today I actually had a hamburger and today I actually had this meat. Mm. And I got so much bullshit for that crap for that because they'd be like, how can you do this? How can you eat meat? And it's like, actually, if we just started to educate ourselves and like you yes. said, so great in your uh, your podcast with Charlotte in Han. It's like, we need to unlearn. Yes. We need to unlearn before we can learn. And, and I think that's one of the first things I actually wrote to you is that's, that's one of the first steps in Buddhist practice is that before you even, you can get to learn anything, you have to kind of just empty the cup you came into the room with because you have so many prejudiced views. You have so many kind of views of how things are going to be. And you need to kind of, pour that away to be able to just receive the tools of how you're going to learn. Uh, and I think that's very accurate today. And you mentioned working with mental health issues. I want to ask you, what's your perception of our uh, global mental health to date? The global perspective is that it's really, really bad. And considering how the earth is feeling right now, it's, um, it's kind of feeling the same as our men mental health. So from a you know sustainable point of view and climate change that's also happening within every one of us and uh, of course with the covid and it's just so many things going on that is questioning what mental health is uh i think we if we're not gonna not gonna deal with the issues as climate change and social values uh in the right way we're gonna have more problems with mental health because in our society, in our workplace, people are still working until they're burned out. People are still not like, like you were explaining your day. I do this and then I go and I work in the evening. Mm, uh, yes. I'm, and, and I think if more people were able to kind of position how they're going to work and position how they're going to not work, we're going to have better mental health. But because we're not prioritizing this and because this is not this hasn't really been sexy mental health issues. If they're, especially if they're bad, bad mental health issues, uh, they're not sexy enough to kind of enhance. And it's still like shameful to talk about mental health issues. And, um, it should be one of our top questions yeah, and top of mind. Of top and, questions starting yeah. from kindergarten into school. And, and it should be, uh, uh, it should be, it's uh, for me, it's like when you are able to admit that you have a mental health issue. If you're able to admit your weaknesses, then you're truly strong. Not like a victim, not like a, um, you know, trying to just bleed. But when you're able to truly admit that, I mean, it's very easy for a person to say, oh my God, my kid is sick. I need to go home and take care of my kid. And, but if you would say the same thing, oh my God, 
you know, I have sometimes a little mental disability. I really need to go and have a run or do my yoga practice or do my meditation. That would not be totally accepted because that, I mean, it's, so it's like the system is just still so into one thing and we need to kind of start to address this, these things. But it's the same thing with, uh, I'd say we need to change the DNA of how, how we structure things around our business and our life. Yeah, I think we need to change what we value, mm -hmm. what we respect maybe, and also what we incentivize people yeah. to strive for. If we're incentivizing people to work really long hours to get promoted, then that's what people would do. But if we're incentivizing people to be open about their health issues, to be um, ambitious in a healthy way, to maybe flex their hours, mm -hmm. to be adapted to Uh, their lifestyle and all their needs and wants. And um, if that's our incentive, I think we'll have a healthier society with, without losing the productivity. Mm, absolutely. I mean, we, first of all, we need to of. kind of dismantle the glorification we have of always succeeding. We have to dismantle the, the glorification we have of never, uh, you know, always working, content never sleeps, all these kind of things that we're saying without even actually thinking about what we're saying. And I've been to so many different therapists during my years. And, and one of the ones that I finally, I actually went to that actually could say something that spoke to me. He was a Buddhist and he taught, he was, you know, trying to heal me for Buddhist teaching. And he said, like, mm. you need to stop um, being only on the top or on the bottom because I mean, equally, they're equally um, destructive and equally um, addictive. And yes. for a really, truly person to feel creativeness, and this is something that we learned when we were, you need to be, have, you need to be bored. Like you need to have um, a mm. gray zone of everything. It's usually when yes. I'm in my gray zone and I, I try to explain it. It's when I can sit with myself and think one thought straight through yes. and then it's gone. You know, like you really let, get to do, go through that. Totally bored. Nothing's happening. Not, no Instagram, no writing, no creativity, no whatever. Just staring into the to like space. When you're able to do that, then that's where you can start to find so many keys to so many yes. things. I totally agree. And this person who taught you about this was a Buddhist uh, a teacher. And there's different ways of explaining the same thing, basically. And looking at the learning science, there's a space called incubation. So in the incubation period. So I've tried to explain the same thing in the form of incubation. And that's mm -hmm. a part of four parts in the creative process and probably the most important part where you're actually not doing anything or you're not working actively on the problem or question you're uh, working on. No, you're letting them come to you or sometimes they just leave you. I mean, it's just, it's very, and when I uh, got together with Frederick, my husband, and he was like, why are you just staring into the wall? <laughs> I mean, you're really weird. Like you're freaking out. I'm like, I'm trying to think one thought through. Come on, leave me alone. Like, really, why are, yes. not, why are you not doing this? It's just my way. And now, of course, he's very used to it. And he can see when I go off in my world. And uh, But it's like, that. that is when I'm home, uh, safe in my own environment. And uh, I was saying to a friend of mine, like a year ago, I was not in a really good place before summer. I was so tired and, you know, fragmented. And I said, If people just realized how many seatbelts I put on my different personalities every day to go out and be in the world. Mm. And she's like, why do you feel you the need to do that? Because I've tried not to do it. And it just becomes really weird and it becomes really weird for other people. And then, you know, and then I'm starting to realize now, but why are you deciding to be weird for yourself? 
and I think this is also going back to the mental health thing is that I'm still trying to, you know, you know, trying to be a certain way. And, and, and like I was saying, the seatbelts on the different personalities, mm. maybe they're good sometimes, but then maybe they shouldn't be there like other times. And, and, and I think, again, it's something that we need to address uh, and, and need to challenge. Yeah. I find it really complex with the different uh, stories we tell ourselves and the stories we live because they are needed in some way, but they can also be limiting. So it's a balancing act there as I see it. Yeah. And you know, it's okay if you fall. Like uh, I hate standing on my hands and going on my head. I hate being upside down when I'm doing yoga practice, but you know, nothing really happens when you fall. You don't, I'm, I've never like in 20 years hurt myself when I fall and it just felt kind of embarrassing and and you know you're kind of looking around and anyone see me and then in the end I just probably you know and I think it's the same thing like if you do a mistake it's okay it's better that at least you acted uh and 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 learn and if if there are people around you who will not support you then maybe it's time to do the feng shui and and maybe not be with those people for this moment at least and oh yeah and I think it's very important for a lot of people right now that it's actually maybe not the best time to try to to work on changing other people's views because uh, maybe it, it's time to just take care of yourself and and, mm. and kind of um, cherish the one part of you that that's the, that's going to be the one who takes you into the future because now it's like we're trying to educate the world in so many things and I think that's great um, and I see a lot of these uh, Black Lives Matters posts being shared around on, on, on my social feeds. And I think it's great, but I also think like I would love if someone would sit down and actually kind of translate them into Swedish, like mm. all these difficult words, I would, words, I would like to see like if a linguist could actually translate them into Swedish. So it would make the communication in Sweden much more easier because unless we do that, we're just going to say that we're adopting another problem from another part of the world. And, and which I think is kind of funny because we've adopted so many things from America or so many yes. things from other countries, which is like culture and music and, you know, lo- you know, fashion. And then all of a sudden when we're adopting this thing, as they are saying, I'm like, why can't we see that with all those other things we adopted, this came with it. And you're speaking here about, um, the balance between teaching and not teaching. I wanted to ask you, and you mentioned your hu- husband, uh, Fredrik, looking at you while you're looking into a wall. And, and I wanted <laughs> to ask you when you said that, has he sort of adapted some of that? Or the question I want to ask is like, do you actively encourage meditation? And if you do it, how do you do it? Uh, I think it's one of the best things you could do. Uh, and I think it's, uh, if you, you might just need to kind of understand that, very few times uh, when you're actually sitting down to meditate is the times when you're completely, it doesn't really have to do with your mind will still and, and nothing will be in there. It's that just that moments when you're sitting and you're actively sitting down and the practice is to sit down and not move. So that's the practice that you should try to be doing and having like a certain gaze and, you know, but when you, once you realize that, nothing really stops when this happens, like all your thoughts and emotions and feelings, and even like your surroundings will continue to just move just as always. And, and the, the, the lesson is kind of just for you to be there and sit 
and like hold a thought in your hands and without squeezing it and trying to think about it or without trying to drop it and just kind of letting it be there. Mm. And it sounds really, really easy, uh, but it is really, really hard. And it's not hard, I think, in, in our essence as humans. It's just hard because we have not um, worked in Practice. this matter for a very, yeah. very long time. This is like the beginning of most cultures had a part of meditation in their practice uh, or rituals. But we've come so far from this practice that now a meditation or a ritual is something that you associate with a brand or with a, uh, mm. an, an influencer or, or a profile. And very seldom do you actually know that it comes from a long line of many, 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 you know, many people of different genders and, uh, you know, um, and, and ethnicities. And it's just like, uh, I think it's very good that we kind of modernize certain things, but I also think it's good that sometimes we need to go and look back at, at, at some old things as well, because unless we kind of get away from the whole branding of meditation and, and yoga, I don't think it's not going to, it's not going to be doing us um, the best. Uh, and I always, I got a question, a really, a really good question. Cause I do work with brands and I do like, I do my, you know, like that. And I don't think there's anything wrong in that, but she, this person, she was asking, what does uh, yoga practice have to do with this brand? And I said, why do I need this brand? I'm like, of course you don't need this brand. Of course you don't need mm -hmm. to do uh, all of these things, but this is just a different, this is just a choice that you have. But the actual practice, of course, is something that comes from within you. And, and you it's do essential. something with that. Yeah, that's essential for, for actually feeling a difference and a shift. Yeah, and I found it really interesting when you were, when you were speaking about uh, food previously and the development, like how the whole health trend developed. Mm -hmm. And it is very brand-centric maybe today, mm -hmm. um, while you're on a level of the actual raw uh, ingredients and creating a lot of stuff yourself. Um, many people, I believe, associate it with just a brand and live yeah. the lifestyle through a brand. And as you're saying, it's good that brands actually choose to communicate it and mm -hmm. inspire people in this direction. But it's more than connecting to I different think, brands. And Yeah, I think um, also like you were asking about nutrition for the soul. And I think, yeah. uh, like I was saying, when I was uh, 17 and I decided that I will not, I will not listen to my parents like many other 17 years old, and I will not work with food. I will work with fashion. I was, of course, uh, just starting out on my anorexia uh, and kind of, you know, totally shutting off that part of me. And uh, the moment then when I started, to, the moment I started to realize that I was actually getting healthy is the moment when I started to cook again. Uh, and I think that's also like a part of a ritual of cooking and connecting mm -hmm. to people over dinner. And usually uh, when you go to dinner in someone's place, everything's like, everything is set all the little places are out, all the food is done and you sit down and you eat the food with some with the cutlery and you drink from the glasses. And this is usually, you know, how, how you experience a dinner party. Whereas like, if you come to my house, probably no food is ready and you will mm. cook together and, you know, you would talk and you can eat with your hands and there are no set places. And, and, and I think it's, um, that's also part of nutrition. Uh, and just a lot of people today are of course not cooking and, uh, I have the luxury of having a grown kid and, and my husband also cooks. So we, it's our interest, it's our passion. So of course I'm going to do it. But I feel that a lot of people pre COVID at least were not engaging in, in, in the cooking. And, and, and I think it's, 
that's also part of the nutrition. If you want to feel good about something and about yourself and about your body, yes. it's actually kind of nice to do that little ritual, even if it's people, I hate cooking for myself. And I have to say, I love cooking for myself. I think it's great to cook for myself. And I, I love to kind of then sit down and have my meal for myself because I don't feel lonely. I just feel I'm actually not lonely because I'm for the first time, maybe in a long time being with myself. So when you're saying that you don't like to cook for yourself, you should actually ask yourself, why do I not honor myself to make this meal only for me and sit down only with me? Um, maybe that's the next yoga class I should be going to is to cook a meal mm. for me. Uh, and, and so I, you know, you can find uh, moments of stillness in so many things that we're actually not engaging in anymore in modern society. Yes, that's great. And bringing it into your day-to-day -day life. And mm -hmm. I really like the way you started answering the question about global health. You're speaking about sustainability and the health of the world. In the second episode I ever did of this or released of this podcast, I had a, a tantric monk as a guest. Uh, his name is Konrad Svenninger. Mm -hmm. And he was speaking about in the 80s, we became aware of our uh, the world's ecology. So they started raising questions about the world's ecology. In the same way, today, he, his mission through his humanitarian organization is to raise awareness about our inner ecology. Yeah. And thinking about that and how they're connected and it's similar processes, though it's very different. I think both of them are our top priority. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's really nice. And also like... Um, I think once we realize that everything is connected and, and like I was saying, like last summer before I went on vacation, I was burnt out and tired. And I also was very questioning again, something, what, what am I working with? Why, why this whole selling products? And of course I've always had the luxury of being chosen by certain companies that actually always try to work sustainably somehow. Uh, but I, I have to be quite honest, like, I believe that as long as we're working with producing things, we're not actually yeah. just, we're not really being sustainable, but mm. we're creating alternatives. Uh, yes. I think there are so many cool companies who even don't use the world sustainability. It's just part of the ethos and, and it's the same thing with social values. It should just be part of the ethos of the company. Mm. You shouldn't need to use it as a marketing tool. I mean, but we were living in the era of that time, but I was yeah. like, so I was actually the whole last summer. So I need to kind of change a, how I'm, I need to learn. I need to do more because every time I'm working with a company, it ends up like, Oh, we kind of really need to work with Joanna because you know, she's Brown and she's holistic and let's use her. And it's just like, I, I like to say that that's really good, but that's just window dressing mm. and cover girls. We need to go into the DNA of companies. And I, because I can't change other people. So I just, what am I going to do to change how I can communicate this hopefully next year or in the future? So I found this course in Cambridge online and I uh, uh, enrolled to it and I got accepted. And I did like eight weeks of sustainability leader management um, last, uh, last fall. And like the first three week weeks, I was kind of really depressed because then you realize the whole thing of the earth, like how bad and how far it's gone. Oh, yeah. But it was yeah. also really interesting that all these people who worked Uh, or who were my tutors, amazing, amazing people from all over the world, tutors, they said, without social values and diversity, we cannot even begin to speak about adapt, uh, you know, talking climate change and, and how to 
um, you know, adapt sustainability in all everything we do. It's one. It's not one and the other. It's both together. Yes. And I, I think I would liken that with a bottom up approach and top down approach working yeah. together to really create yeah. a change. And I think that's what but if if my advice to a lot of companies, even the ones that I work with, is actually to see that without one, you cannot have the other. So um, and I think it's 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 easier to kind of work with climate change and trying to be transparent about sustainability. But I think it's really hard to kind of find how people or how brands are going to communicate diversity because at the moment, of course, it's so infected. But I would like to say that most companies need to look into this, uh, you know, really hard and how they're going to work with it because. I think also with the younger generation, I think that's also why I kind of reached out to you is that I, I find it really hard to find, of course, we live in Sweden. I find it really hard to find people who, um, in, at my age, like at 46, who speak about these matters, uh, mm. looking like me. I mean, it's, it's the younger generation. I went uh, with my husband to the Black Lives Matters uh, demonstration on Sagastori a couple of uh, months ago, just to kind of yeah. see because I think it's really interesting to see like, who are these people? And it, of course it's the COVID thing and everything. And I'm like, well, you know, we've been doing so many other things. We have not been a close to that country. So I'm not, I, I no. think that was kind of a weak, weak argument, but it's like, where are all the people my age? Yes. Where are, I mean, basically everyone was from 20 to 25, maybe someone was skimming on 30 and I'm like, yes. what the fuck? I mean, sorry, but I was it's like, there <laughs> and I was among the older people there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing I'm I'm a bit older than you, so I'm like, yeah. where are where are all my people? And and I think it's because also I have realized that we were brought up not to say anything. I was so told, and I think this is because my parents wanted to protect me. My name is Joanna, but my first name is actually Aurea. But you know, mm, Johanna looks it's, it's it's Swedish, and of course, when I moved to Sweden. Uh, everyone, when they think Joanna is coming, they're like looking for a Joanna. It was not me. So it's like, I think it's, 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 everything is done for protection. It was always better to fit in than to stick out. Um, stay on the safe side. Stay on the safe side. And I was never on the safe side. And, and, <laughs> but it's, I, uh, so it's, I think it's really hard for my generation also to kind of finally, I have to have, I need to speak out and be this voice, but we can't just rely on the youth to do this. I mean, it's, uh, that will be wrong because we need to also kind of engage in these things and, and to question our, uh, where we are working and our, our friends and our families. And it cannot only be the youth who's doing this because they're also supposed to be learning so many other things. Um, yes. That's too much of a burden yeah. really. So you have a lot, you have shared a lot of great insights here and, and with this new um, course that you took, I'm looking forward to following your career even further, developing into sustainability and implementing structural change in companies. And I believe, of course, it's a combination of what you've learned during your journey, what you've applied yourself in, but also you have a really interesting background. And the first time we spoke, we're speaking about like um, on paper, you would say there's a complex sort of journey, but I see and I hear how that journey has been so valuable uh, for you to actually teach people or reproduce what you learned. 
Um, so would you mind sharing, you've touched a little bit on it on this, through this conversation, but a little bit about your journey uh, coming to the position where you are today. Yeah. Um, first of all, I kind of need to start with my, my adoptive parents or my parents and they were, my father was very young when he was studying a lot and he, he decided his, his, my grandfather, his father was, um, headmaster in, in the town of Odebro. And my father decided he did not want to stay in Sweden. So he met my mother and very young, they decided to move to Washington, D.C. And he was working there. Uh, and then my mother was, was, was with him and they were living in Washington. And think, you know, they decided to adopt, uh, uh, you know, to adopt a child. And one of their neighbors, uh, this being in the 70s, so like all the restrictions of how to, you know, adopt was a bit more loose than it is today. So they went down to Ecuador Okay, and, yeah. uh, uh, to pick, uh, they were adopting a, a young boy from there. And then they said, uh, there's a very young baby girl and she's, uh, I think it was like two months there. She's ready for adoption in, in a month. So you can, you should ask. So they applied for me and they got me. Uh, so they went down there and, um, I was adopted from Ecuador when I was like three months old. And then for my first years, uh, I was living in Washington, DC. And, uh, in those days, like my parents, friends were like from all over the world. Um, for, of course from Sweden, but from Finland and Africa and like really like, of course I don't remember anything because I was so young, but we were like, it was very, very kind of international, the whole, the whole scene. And they're still to this day, uh, best friends with most of these people. So they write like Christmas letters and they're still like in touch. And every time, you know, if I was going to America or like, Oh, you should, you know, you should reach out to that person and that person is there. And you, so it's like, it's always been like, you know, a lot of these stories and then a after global family, a, a would you global say? family. And then after Washington, they, my father got job, a job in Iran and then he was working for Ericsson. So we moved to Tehran yeah. and this was before the first Iran, Iraq war. And while we were living there, they adopted my, my younger brother, Nicholas. Uh, so we were living there until actually we had to move away because it became so turbulent kind of building up for the first Iran, Iraq war. Oh yeah. Uh, and so we moved kind of, uh, back to Sweden for a short while, um, for some years. And when, when they were in Sweden, my mother had my, their biological son, my youngest brother, Matthias. So we're like, uh, my husband calls us little UN because we're so many different nationalities <laughs> in our family. So we were living in Sweden for a couple of years and I went to school here and then my father got a job in, in Dominican Republic in the West Indies. Uh, so we lived there until I was 12. And these are totally different environments that yes. you lived in. How was it like transitioning between them, experiencing different cultures? I know you were really young, but looking yeah. back at it. I mean, actually, and I think I mentioned this in the L piece, is that I did not ever think about being different when I was living in Washington or Iran or the Dominican Republic, because basically my whole family was just very you know, exotic, but I was actually looking more like anyone in that specific country than my parents were. 
Oh, yes. So I never, ever thought about that. And like my youngest brother, Matias, he's blonde and he's blue eyes. Of course, he was like, oh, Rubio, you know, he was like small and blonde. So of course he would get like attention, but we were mostly just basically like any other families. But every time we moved back to Sweden, it became really, really hard because it, I mean, it's really hard to explain because people think that Sweden is this really great country and it is in very many ways but it is not in so many other ways. And because we're not addressing these things, uh, it's still kind of really hard to speak about, but it's, so the, every time we moved back to Sweden, uh, I, I did not feel very, you know, did not feel very nice and it became very questionable in me. Why am I not, you know, accepted or why am I being, you know, all these things that happens. Um, and of course that most apparent when I moved back, uh, at 12 years old and just, getting into my teens. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Would you describe it as like the, the difference being a visual minority? Like it's, exactly. it's quite uh, prominent that you're a minority. Um, sticking out. And, I'm, and also because I grew up thinking that I wasn't. Mm. Had I been growing up in Sweden the whole time, let's say, you know, that would have probably have been my constant thing in my mind, but because I didn't, mm. it became just like a shock every time, you know, when I moved back that I was actually a minority and that people actually saw my color, but they didn't speak about it. Or they said something like, Oh my God, you have such nice brown skin. You should, you look really good in colorful clothes. And, you know, all these mm. things that people can say that people think they're, are nice, but it's actually kind of making me very self-conscious. And of course, like, um, I'm very, you know, privileged and, and, and I have so many privileged things in my life, but uh, also I have to say this being a woman and because being a woman growing up and being, you know, kind of considered attractive, like my biggest problem has always been coming from men kind of trying to sexualize me at a very young age. You know, you're exotic. She's, you stand for this exoticness and it's like, really like I'm 12 years old, get off my back. You know, it's like, you know, and it does. And it's almost like it hinders a woman to kind of be, become her own, you know, sensuality and sexuality because you're so placed in a compartment from such a young age that you don't, in the end, like when you're 15, when you're kind mm. of growing up, it's already kind of ruined. So you don't know uh, if you're playing on something or if you're being preyed on something, you know, so it's mm. like... Uh, and I think, uh, these are like touchy subjects, but it's, uh, and I don't think I'm the only one who feels this. And, and, but I have always had that as one of my biggest issues is, is how to kind of deal with being a woman and de- dealing with my sexuality and dealing with my, you know, whatever, like the, the, sen- the parts of a woman that you have, if it's, is it coming from me or is it because someone has said something or done something, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about the interference with your, your own development that should be yours, but there's an interference there and uh, almost like intruding into your, your personal process. Yeah. So you're talking about coming into your teens. Who, who, how would you describe yourself as a teen or a young adult? Um, very depressed and, uh, very, um, uh, it's like a, like a very mix of different things, very creative somehow, because, you know, I was, um, when I was 17, I started working as a fashion stylist because I was together with a photographer and he said, you have really good style, so you should be a stylist. And so I became a stylist. <laughs> so I was kind of lucky, but of course I was also a very troubled kid or a teenager. So 
you know, it was maybe not the best industry for me. And also again, like the industry when I was 17 is not the industry that we see today. And the industry that we see today is not nice. So, I mean, you can just imagine how it was back in the days, but it was a very creative scene and it was, you know, even pre grunge and all that, you know, the whole, so it was very interesting, but I was of course not my, my most healthiest self. And that's probably when I developed the most scars on my mental health, uh, you know, issues like the, the anorexia, the, you know, there's so many things that I kind of turned off, um, that I have had to try to unravel throughout my lifetime. But I mean, then again, I mean, it's, it's, it's a turbulent time for any team. And, and, but it, it was very turbulent for me. And I had to kind of also like, I have to say that when you become destructive, you're of course destructive to yourself, but the moment you start to become an adult and mm. I mean, as long as you're a kid or a teen, there's like, you can be in the gray zone of what is okay and what is not okay. But the moment you start to become an adult, it becomes harder for society also to kind of, because you start to kind of really, you know, when you act out, you usually hurt yes. a lot of people around you. So that's There's why I think it's so important, important to kind of deal with these issues in, when people are kids or teenagers. And because it's so much harder when you're, when you're grown up, because also yes. you don't have the same privilege to deal with them when you're, when you're an adult. And you probably end up doing more harm as an adult because you're this, you have more impact. Yeah, there's so much more impact. And it's, there's, as I see it, as I've seen it in through my own experience, looking at the educational system, there is very little or none, no space for this type of teaching and learning uh, of these essential life skills, sort mm-hmm. of. But on that note, you yourself has a, have a 19-year-old daughter today. Yes. What do you teach her about love and life? I mean, she actually did not, after I got divorced, I became quite not, uh, I was very ill for a long time. So she's been for the past 10 years, she's been growing up with her father. Uh, and, um, but we've always had kept in touch. And now today our, our, our relationship is so much better and it's kind of harder for me to talk about this, but I think this is one of the key things that I need to talk about because this is also dealing with the whole what happens when you don't take care of your mental health issues and when, when life gets pulled away from you, you have to deal with them. So, but today I try to like listen more to her and try to uh, hear her anger and her confusion. And she's thankfully quite one of the healthiest persons uh, as far as I know. Uh, she's very, um, she's more like a, a, an organized person part, a part of myself. Uh, so, uh, I try to more listen to her and of course she knows about my yoga and what I do and she can ask me what should I eat today? But she's like, she's her own person and and we have to develop our own relationship. Uh, and it's not traditional and, 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 but that's part of what, what became of, of everything. And, and I think these are very important things to talk about, but also I, I don't want to talk about it too much because I always have to be sure that she feels that it's okay to talk about because, you know, there's, there's sensitive parts in it and everything. And and so it's, uh, but I'm very proud of her and she's uh, going to artist school. And she was like, I think it was her second year in, in gymnastics. And she said, I'm I'm going to Kenya. I'm going to the school in Kenya. So she went one year to Kenya and and studied there. Um, Instead of, she's like, 
you know, I don't want to need to go to Paris or London or New York. I want to go yeah. to Kenya instead. And I'm yes, like, wow, I love when that. I was your age, I wanted to be like super stylist in New York. And you're like, yeah. to see this other part of the world. I think that was really, uh, you know, her own voice speaking out. That's really beautiful. And mm-hmm. I, I know she has a huge uh, inspiration in you and, and your journey. Yeah. But she's, uh, I think it's, and I think it's important to kind of, and, you know, highlight different relationships with kids. And I, I like, I had very bad relationship with my parents for many years, um, especially like in my teens, because I blamed everything on them and, uh, you know, all these regular things. Uh, so, and then just like, eventually you grow up and they grow a bit older and everything just kind of you kind of end up liking each other and you're like, why am I not like, you know, why am I not with the people that I like? And mm. also because so much of my history has actually been through them. So. Yes. You, you can maybe relate more exactly. uh, to their side or their journey as well. Yeah. When you grow up and realize that, Oh, okay. My mother you was 27 when she had yeah. me. I'm 29 now. <laughs> exactly. And you usually do. I mean, usually parents, hopefully parents don't, do stuff, uh, even if it's not maybe the most, the best things to their children, they don't do it out of hate or despite or to be evil. They do it because maybe they don't have the tools themselves, or maybe they're mm. just trying to protect. And sometimes that does not work out. And uh, that's just the way it is. And and I think that's uh, part of also growing up is seeing that. And, and of course, it became quite apparent when I, I myself became a parent and it's, it was not as easy as I had been taught uh, or, mm. or um, when I started to realize that I had to, to take care of some things in myself before I was going to be uh, even, you know, able to, to kind of touch things that, that uh, are going on with myself and my daughter. But, and so then I also, of course, became easier to kind of forgive my own parents and, and to see Oh, yeah. Um, their part in it all and my part in it all. Like I was saying, when you, when you grow up and you have, uh, when you have a hard time with yourself and, and then you also have to kind of eventually take responsibility. And, and also like it took, my mother was like, why are you always angry? And it takes time for, for people to forgive as well. So it's like, and then they were there and now we have a great relationship. So I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's part of life. And uh, it's also something maybe we should be taught in school that sometimes part of life is not just succeeding in, in your business and becoming a great boss and, and being fit. It comes with other 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 issues as well. And, and if you can address them, then maybe those other things are not so important. <laughs> You're given tools to manage all, yeah. all that life throws at you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much for sharing, Joanna. I want to end with uh, a question looking mm-hmm. into the future. So what are you eager to learn within the near future? Uh, well, I'm eager to learn from from people like you. Uh, I think you have so many interesting tools and, and ways of speaking out uh, into the world that I think is very encouraging to learn more. Um, Thank I you. also have so many tools that I've learned, like last year when I was going to this Cambridge thing that I've feel that I need to actually have time to kind of digest and to yes. see where I'm going to place it in, in my own, you know, my own companies and, and in my own company and, and, and what I'm doing. And uh, also just maybe to, to just also not be doing so many things the whole time, like um, to mm. kind of um, 
to, like I was saying, to have those gray zones where, or the, the, the times when I'm actually just digesting everything that's going on in the world and that's going on in me. I think that's equally as important that you don't only stuff yourself with knowledge, that you also have time to, to dissect what is, yes. what is, where's, where, where, where's it for me and what should I share with other people? And, and I have many projects that actually are going on that, that hopefully will crystallize in the future, but I need to sometimes put energy into those. It's so easy to put energy into other things. So oh, yeah. I need to learn about my own energy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. a great <laughs> thing to learn about. And yeah. so you have both practical things, you have both things about yourself and yeah. uh, you're continuing your journey of growth. Yeah. And I know, um, I know of people who are inspired by your platform. So um, I would like to just say, keep up the, the great work. <laughs> thank and you. Thanks for the inspiration. And thank you for this time. Nothing is alright